Welcome to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. The show is being broadcast right here on 770 CHQR in Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. Now, we're doing this every two weeks during the summer because it is summer. So uh, Saturday mornings, every two weeks at this time, I will be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But again, it's really your opportunity to ask questions of the Premier, to voice your concerns or raise issues that you feel need to be addressed. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak with the Premier one-on-one. Just remember to keep it short and keep it respectful. And be patient, of course. We get a lot of calls and we get a lot of texts, and please keep those text messages short as well. There are a lot of them. I really, I don't have time to read a novel, so keep them short. Premier Kenny wants to hear from you. You can call or text. In Calgary, the number is 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. Premier Kenny, welcome to the show. Great to be back, Wayne. Thank it's you. Nice to have you back in studio. And uh, boy, it's uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I mean, we had Canada Day yesterday. We got the Calgary Stampede coming up. Last time we chatted, you were on to uh, Leduc to celebrate the anniversary of uh, uh, Leduc Number One, which really set the province on its uh, energy course. And on that note. All right, I want to start off the show with my own question. Now, uh, I caught a recent interview on Shea Ganim's show about why Alberta should at least have a conversation about implementing a provincial sales tax, or as, uh, as Shea so rightly called it, a provincial suicide tax. A political, now, political suicide political tax. Political suicide yeah. tax, right. Now, it focused on a new book that's out. Uh, it's a collection of reports, really, from a number of different economists, former politicians, senior public servants, uh, servants and, a, and a political columnist. Now, I'm probably like most Albertans in that whenever I hear talk of a, sale ta- a sales tax, my, pro- my response is, we already pay enough tax, right? But the editor of the book, Robert Aska, who is a former director of the Institute for Public Economics at the University of Alberta, said a few things that make me want to get a copy of this book and at least look at the arguments and, and read them. So here's some of the, the key points that, uh, that I took away from uh, Shay's conversation with uh, Robert Aska. Since 1965, there has been no government surplus in Alberta unless it has come as a result of resource revenue. Albertans pay, through taxation, only 70 to 90% of the cost of public services. Even with a 3% sales tax, Alberta would still have the lowest tax in the country, so the Alberta advantage would remain. And the editor recommends the next provincial government put together a fiscal review commission to look at overall policy so that we have a more stable source of revenue as opposed to the boom and bust budgeting that we're so used to. And uh, certainly with uh, with your government, we have seen this... Uh, huge uh, increase in revenue as a result of uh, oil royalties. And as a uh, politician, an outgoing politician, outgoing premier of Alberta, uh, Premier Kenny, uh, you might be a little safer in commenting on, on, uh, on a provincial sales tax. So what is your response to all of this? All really interesting points. And I, I agree, it's always worth a debate. Yeah. Uh, we should never take anything off the table in terms of debate. Uh, that gets you get better policy if you have an open discussion about issues. Um, first, one first things first here. Uh, I just want to point out that the surplus we just reported for last year, which would right. be our first Alberta balanced budget in seven years, would not have happened if we had not exercised spending restraints. So obviously, 
Uh, the rebound in well, gas prices was a huge part of it, but not the only part. I want to be That's clear. Right. This year's budget, we, we have balanced it based on $70 WTI this year. We're so far averaging over 100 bucks a barrel. Uh, but again, that balance would not have happened if we continued on the previous government spending track. So you need fiscal responsibility because one of the problems in our modern Alberta is when we get an oil boom, we track our spending up and we spend what we what comes in. And, exactly. then, and then when it come, the revenues come down, we're left holding the taxpayers are left holding the bag with debt. Second point. Um, there's a lot of sound economic arguments to be made for sh- not for adding a uh, sales tax, but shifting tax weight, perhaps, to, from income to consumption. The economists will pretty much all tell you that's a less damaging force, uh, form of revenue collection. It's less likely to disincentivize work, saving, and investment, the kind of activity that creates wealth, um, which is why, way, way back in the midst of time, in 1994, I think, or, or five, when I was head of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, I gave a speech in Edmonton making this argument. And I said we could eliminate the provincial sales uh, income tax, which would be pretty cool, re- but replace it with about a 7% harmonized GST. The economy would probably be stronger. We'd have a more re- stable revenue source. And holy smokes, did I get whacked by, sure. by Albertans who were furious. Yeah. Members of my organization demanding their... Uh, I wasn't pr- saying we should do this. I just said it was an idea. Yeah, to talk and about And that's it. where I learned that PST in Alberta is political suicide tax. Yeah. So here's the third and final point. Um, it, it, as coming out of that experience, I worked with the Klein government and persuaded them to pass something called the Taxpayer Protection Act, which has been law now since 95. And it says you cannot Im- introduce a sales tax in Alberta without a referendum in Albertans having their consent. So that's the bottom line. If there are people who think it's a good idea, it's their responsibility to persuade Albertans because I don't think you can go and force or you should not force the public uh, to pay a tax that they absolutely uh, uh, hotly oppose. And finally, we did include in our platform a commitment to a revenue commission to look at the revenue picture of the province. And I don't know what the next premier will do, but that's uh, that's on the books. All right. We do have to have at least that conversation on moving forward in the next 5, 10, 15 years, uh, uh, a, a, a review of, of fiscal policy to make it Fair more enough. efficient. Fair enough. Okay. All right, let's get right to the phones. Ron's been hanging on since before you were here. Uh, Ron, uh, calling from Bones. Go ahead, Ron. Buenos dias, Premier Kenny. <laughs> uh, buenos dias. Um, with the war in Ukraine entering its sixth month, to what extent has the need for energy security been prioritized in the free world? And... Has there been any progress in the probability that new pipelines in Canada will be approved and constructed in the near future? Great questions, Ron. On energy security, yes. Uh, the, the world, especially the naive green left types in governments, have been mugged by reality with the invasion of Ukraine. You know, you've heard me say, if you listen, been listening for years that we need to expand Alberta oil production and exports so that we can compete with and ultimately displace dictator oil that fuels conflict. And now Putin's invasion of Ukraine is almost a perfect object lesson of that point. It's a billboard that uh, of the top 10 energy oil producers in the world, only two are rights-respecting democracies, Canada and the United States, only two. Uh, produce their energy through publicly traded and trend, um, accountable companies, Canada and the United States. The other eight of the top ten are bad actors. 
world's worst regimes, dictators, autocracies, whose oil is produced by state-owned enterprises or state-directed companies. And that's why I've been in Washington three times in the last six months, because we are getting a very, very open hearing about this. And I'm going to be taking this message likely on investment promotion trips uh, to uh, other parts of the world over the summer and fall. Um, So they're listening, but... Part of the problem here, Ron, is that governments in North America, the Trudeau and Biden governments in particular, have created so much policy uncertainty over the future of the oil and gas sectors that these companies are not willing to invest in significant increases in upstream exploration and production. So once we fully rebound from COVID and this potential stagflationary recession, you're going to see a very serious and, and uh, durable shortage of global supply. So that is, uh, that is a, that's why we need policy certainty so that we can get these companies to risk shareholders' money uh, in, in democracies on new production and on pipelines. Um, well, look, we've got there, – there, there's uh, several projects that are uh, moving forward to optimize pipeline shipments within North America, uh, line reversals, introduction of drag reduction agents, all of which together – could increase by about 400,000 barrels a day, the amount of oil that we ship out of Alberta. And TMX is still, Town Trans Mountain Expansion, on schedule for uh, completion by the first quarter of 2024. All right. We're going to take a break, but uh, when we return, we're going to be chatting with Steve from Edmonton. So, Steve, hang on. You are listening to Your Province, Your Premier. I'll be back when we return. Welcome back. Your province, your premier airs every other Saturday morning during the summer at this same time from 10 until 11 throughout Alberta. In Calgary on 770 CHQR and in Edmonton on 630 CHED. I'm Wayne Nelson and this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, address issues you feel are important to speak with the premier one-on-one. And to that end, let's get right to it. Steve, you are first up. Steve calling from Edmonton. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, hi, good morning. Uh, There was an article in the news going back to May 2021, and I haven't seen any updates concerning the fact that Alberta can't ticket travelers refusing to quarantine because it hasn't adopted the Federal Act, being the Contraventions Act, which gives police additional powers to enforce the Quarantine Act. Stats on reported fines issued for Quarantine Act offenses through June 2022 show that no fines have been issued in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Kudos to Alberta and Saskatchewan for not signing a pact with the devil, but I'm curious to know what is behind Alberta's decision not to adopt the act, and is it still under discussion, or is the matter concluded? Sorry, Steve. Um, I, you've done your research there. I don't believe it ever has been under discussion. I mean, I vaguely recall this uh, maybe coming up at some point kind of mid-pandemic, uh, and we were not, uh, we had, we had not, um, adopted the necessary legal measures to comply with the federal law. And we decided we weren't going to. And so it's overdone and dusted. Uh, I, I think that's t- completely behind us. And I, as far as I know, um, the feds have now effectively lifted their quarantine requirements for people coming in, uh, but they do have a, uh, I, I think a requirement that you self-isolate if you have an active infection. But I, 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 uh, we've never been responsible for enforcing that, and we're not going to become responsible. All right, let's go to the texts. Uh, this one coming in from Edmonton. How is the average family in Alberta supposed to survive and be able to buy food, pay bills, and gas without going poor and hungry? When will inflation stop? This is a real hot topic right across the country. Yeah, it's the number one issue, not just here, but pretty much around the world. And I don't know when inflation will stop. 
Uh, we we thank God, you know, much of our generation has lived through a period of pretty low inflation since um, roughly the, the early mid-90s. We've been averaging um, about 2% inflation. If you think back to the 70s, it was the last time we saw this kind of inflation. It uh, sometimes creeped up into double digits. And that just wallops people. It's a tax on their savings. Uh, and it is the result of a number of things. Anybody who says there's just one simple uh, explanation is is uh, fibbing. The truth is that uh, federal monetary policy, and I believe Pierre Polyev is right about this, has, by just printing tens and tens of billions of dollars um, of, of new fiat currency, the Bank of Canada has accelerated inflation when their job is to control it. Federal fiscal policy... Uh, running the largest deficits by orders of magnitude ever, uh, again, has helped to accelerate inflation, and they're not really doing anything to constrain that. But obviously, energy shortages, uh, the invasion of Ukraine have all contributed. So, um, I, look, I think most of the experts hope or project that this will start to come off um, in tw- uh, next year, but we're probably in for a few more months of high inflation and um, as you know, Alberta has done more to help consumers with the scrapping the fuel tax, uh, the electricity rebates that are coming on people's bills, natural gas rebates. And we're going to have another, an announcement, I believe, next week, Wayne, about some additional support. All right. Now, that is uh, there's another question uh, on our text line here uh, regarding the uh, fuel rebates. And I just wanted to see if I can find it here. It's taking a little bit long to answer. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to go to Daryl, who's calling from Brooks, about propane rebates. Daryl, you're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead. Yeah, Premier Kenny. Uh, thanks for the job that you did and uh, you continue to do. Uh, my question today is about a propane rebate for rural residents um, in the country that heat their houses with fuel. Uh, about a year ago, we used to pay about 32 to 35 cents a liter then to 86 cents a liter. Now it's uh, touching a dollar, dollar five penny where you get it. And I was just wondering if this is going to be part of the the rebate uh, program that falls maybe with the natural gas and energy sector. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks, thanks very much. Uh, good question, Daryl. And I actually, I'm going to read a, a technical response I have to this year, so I get it right. It's that eligible consumers not on the natural gas distribution system or consumers using the annual equivalent of 2,500 GJ or less in other heating fuels like propane, kerosene, and heating oil will also be eligible for the rebate. That's the natural gas rebate and can apply directly for the rebates through a separate application system. For example, if one of the default regulated rates goes to 750 for the month of November and an annual consumer with a natural gas storage tank on their property purchases the equivalent of 200 uh, uh, GJ that consumer can apply for a $1 per GJ rebate for the amount of fuel specific eligibility limits on each fuel type are listed on alberta.ca the rebate for these heating fuels will be calculated in the same method using a standardized equation to determine the consumption equivalency for the alternative fuel Information on how to apply will be released before the October 1st start date. And uh, there's a news release with all the details. If you just maybe go and Google search uh, Alberta um, fuel rebate, you should be able to get all the details there. All right. uh, Text message. uh, This one coming from Edmonton. My question is around urban versus rural, Edmonton versus the region. For 11 years, this is the texter, uh, I've tried to grow the Alberta International Air Show. 
Regional politics gives Edmonton excuses not to play. This seems endemic on many issues. How can we get the large cities to play fairly with their regions? And how do you think the UCP could even get seats in the capital? Hmm. Well, first of all, uh, kudos to whoever wrote that for um, trying to uh, to get this uh, international air show uh, up with uh, because I think you know we've got a really strongly growing aviation sector here. We see it as one of the uh, catalysts for ec- diversification of Alberta's economy, and uh, and so that's uh, that's really commendable. Um, you know, we we have had, and this predates our government. We've had these uh, uh, these. Um, tables of coordination between rural and urban municipalities to try to find uh, synergies and, and efficiencies and shared services and, and plan infrastructure together, do all of that kind of stuff. I, 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 my impression is that Edmonton Global, which is a, um, a table that brings together, I think, 16 municipalities, the city of Edmonton and surrounding munis, rural and urban, my impression is they do pretty good work. I generally get high grades from the uh, people I speak to in both the business community and uh, the municipal governments about their collaboration. I think it's much better than it is in the Calgary region, for example. And I, I think they understand they need to hunt as a pack when it comes to economic development and promoting investment. So I hope this is a bit of an outlier. In terms of winning seats in Edmonton, well, um, you know, I think in the last election, there was a lot of fears from, you know, Edmonton is more a public sector employment town, and, and yet most Edmontonians vote federal conservative. But I think provincially, they've been concerned that a government like ours might cut their pay and, and, and lay people off, and that would affect their pensions. And people have memories of Ralph Klein's government circa 1993. But in fact, we're, we're very close to finalizing uh, uh, co- ratified collective bargaining agreements with pretty much all the public sector unions. Um, and we've had very minimal layoffs. We've had some reduction in the public service, about 9,000 positions through attrition. So people can see that it's not been the boogeyman that they, the NDP depicted before the last election. But what we have brought is a strong economy. And, uh, and so I, I hope that you'll see greater comfort with the UCP in Edmonton in the next election. All right. Tony is texting on the uh, Edmonton line. He says, when are we going back to a flat tax, Mr. Kenny? Nice meeting you in Cold Lake a few years ago. Well, thanks very much. Uh, you know, I loved Alberta's uh, flat tax or what we called the single rate tax. And that, like I mentioned before, I lobbied the Klein government uh, in the 90s for the Taxpayer Protection Act, the referendum requirement on sales tax. But I also lobbied them on this single rate tax, which ultimately uh, Treasurer Stockwell Day brought in, I think, in the 2000 budget. Um, and, you know, people from the left caterwauled about that. They said it was regressive. But the truth is, uh, part of the single rate tax is that they brought in an extremely generous basic personal exemption. It's now at like, I think, $18,400, which is um, way, is 40% more generous than the next more, more generous province. And as a result, 40% of Albertans, Wayne, pay no provincial income tax. I don't think people realize that. Uh, and that was introduced to, to kind of recognize that we were going to, you know, right. higher income people would pay a lower margin, would pay no marginal rate. So low income people would pay nothing. And that was the deal. And it, made, it, made, it brought a lot of the investment and growth to Alberta that we, bet we all benefited from sure. in those years. So I would, that's one of the reasons I committed in the platform to a fiscal uh, a revenue review panel to see, can we get back to that? And that's something that the next premier and government will have to determine. All right. Phones, once again, Aaron is calling from Medicine Hat on a disability question. Go ahead, Aaron. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi, Premier uh, Kenny. Thanks for taking my call. 
Um, I just wanted to ask on behalf of the approximately 10,000 disability sector workers in the province, when they may see a, a raise. It's been a number of years, I guess since 2014, since the disability sector saw a raise, and it's not a unionized uh, uh, employment position, so there's no opportunities for inflationary increases or anything like that. So there's a lot of people who are maxed out and have been for a number of years, and obviously this is not a, a high-paying type of career either. So just wanted to throw that question out to you when we could see, uh, expect to see a disability sector wage increase. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. First of all, thank you uh, to you and others who work with with persons with disabilities. Uh, it's it, it's sometimes difficult, but always incredibly important uh, work, and I know often rewarding uh, to to help people who have unique uh, challenges in life. Uh, I, as a young guy, did did some of that myself. Um, secondly, uh, I, I don't really know how to answer the question because if there's not a collective bargaining unit, um, then the government of Alberta doesn't deal. I think directly with that compensation, I think probably I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here that, that, uh, folks in that sector are working for nonprofits, generally community-based organizations that get funding from the province. And then the nonprofits determine notionally what the compensation is. But, um, uh, so th- that's an important issue. Thank you for f- flagging it with me. And I'll raise this with minister Luan, our minister for community and social services. Okay, uh, Justin calling from Edmonton. Go ahead, Justin, you're on with Premier Kenny. Nope, might help if I push the right button. Hello, Justin. Good morning, Premier. Hello. Hi, uh, thank you for the work that your, uh, that your administration has done with the work on the committee to, on, the, on the safe supply, and I hope that, the, and I hope that this work will, in, will ensure that the, uh, the public understands that a safe supply the government providing hard drugs to drug abusers is not a suitable solution, and I hope that, and I hope that whoever is next will continue their work in the mental health and addiction field. Well, thank you, uh, Justin. I, I I certainly hope it will continue as well. And um, I don't like to focus on quotes legacy because I uh, I think you should be in public service for for exactly that, not for somebody's legacy or government's legacy. But I. I'm proud. I'll put it this way. I'm proud of the of the uh, huge innovative efforts that we have taken. And I, Wayne, I really don't believe that most Albertans recognize the degree to which this province is becoming a uh, a real example of uh, compassionate reforms in addressing addictions and uh, mental health issues. Uh, we recently hosted a conference here in Calgary, attended by 850 delegates on uh, how to support lifetime recovery from addiction. Now, if you get into the addiction space and issue, there's basically two schools of thought. There's the single-minded focus on so-called harm reduction, and we can see the results of that in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is basically a charnel house. Uh, And then there's a focus on uh, lifetime recovery. Now, the two are not necessarily exclusive, but we are building 5,000 new spaces for... A treatment and recovery. We are building more detox spaces. We are expanding drug treatment, drug alternative courts for sentencing courts for people who want to go to treatment as opposed to jail. Uh, we are providing um, a a safe alternative, for example, to uh, heroin and opioids, uh, and we're doing that telephonically for rural people who can't get in to see a physician. Uh, we're working with First Nations. We're building five new long-term addictions treatment, uh, f- residential facilities, and much, much more. 
And, and Justin, I just hope whoever succeeds me increases the scale of ambition on this because while uh, deaths from addiction have been coming down, thankfully, this year, they're still far, far too high. Sure. And we still have a lot of deaths from uh, opioid uh, yes. overdose. Yeah. And, and, and let's not forget, sorry to jump on that, but the opioid addiction crisis in North America started, to be blunt, with a lot of doctors over-prescribing opioids and opioids being seen as a silver bullet to solve at, for pain management. Sure, and getting their information from the pharmaceutical companies exactly. that we're promoting. You've probably seen some of the documentaries on that. Yes. So now the, the notion that we can prescribe uh, prescription-level uh, heroin and fentanyl, etc., to people, so-called safe supply is I just think replaying that movie all over again, deepening addiction rather than offering people a way out of it. All right. Uh, Let's get back to the text messages. This one here from Don in Calgary. What safeguards are in place to ensure the integrity of Alberta's election process? Well, the the Elections Act itself, uh, Elections Alberta, which is an independent commission that oversees the elections. um, As you know, I I don't recall... uh, frankly, ever, uh, widespread allegations of um, uh, improper conduct in Alberta elections. There's sometimes here and there in a particular polling station or riding. I'm wondering if Don is referring to the leadership election process. Yeah. Same thing. Well, with that, uh, again, there's a leadership election committee um, created by the United Conservative Party. Uh, they have a chief returning officer who's impartial. They contract an outside accounting or auditing firm. I don't know who it is at this point. Um, and the, the ballots are all uh, opened and validated and uh, counted in uh, a, a secure environment with scrutineers from all of the different campaigns. So... I mean, uh, I, I think it's as, as safe as it can be. All right. Daryl from Bassano. Is there a plan to get doctors to the rural communities as these hospitals and clinics are important to the smaller communities? A hundred percent. And let me say, Wayne, this the, the challenge of rural uh, physician recruitment and retention has been a perennial challenge. And it's probably increasing because what we are finding, and this is anecdotal, but what we're finding is a lot of the younger medical grads in Canada are less inclined to go out to rural communities. They, they're more focused on quality of life. Because, by the way, we have very strong financial incentives to work in rural. Like this government added, on top of the already generous incentives, uh, uh, we added ninety million, or, sorry, $80 million for about 800 rural physicians. That's 100 k a piece. So Just to get them into the rural yeah, communities. Yeah, so rural physicians generally can make significantly more money, but... A lot of the younger docs are more focused as they weigh things out on, quotes, quality of life and the urban amenities lifestyle, as opposed to just what's in their bank accounts. So sorry to be so blunt about that. Yeah. I but, would think that the rural communities would certainly have a, a good quality of life. I, do, I agree. As well. No, I agree. Yeah. But that's I'm saying from the perspective of these folks, yeah. they want the urban amenities. I totally. So here's the point. One of the ways we can get more rural docs is to admit more rural uh, Albertans coming from smaller communities into the med schools. Uh, and into the residency program because they understand the benefits of rural life, the quality of rural life. All right. I have a a related text, sort of, somewhat. Uh, Why is AHS allowed to mandate students and new staff have the COVID vaccination when there are so many adverse effects? My daughter is 18 and just is accepted to school for a healthcare career, and we just found this out, so she can't do her practicum anywhere. I'm... 
I'm reading it verbatim. Could you repeat the? Why is AHS allowed to mandate that students and new staff have the COVID vaccination when there are so many adverse effects? Um, Well, first of all, in terms of adverse effects, uh, they, I I think the questioner may be overstating that. Um, We have administered, what is it, well over 7 million doses in Alberta since the program started in the winter of, of last year. And I think we've reported, um, stand to be corrected on this, but about 2,500 adverse effects. So the number of serious adverse effects is minuscule compared to the number of doses administered. There's adverse effects for any vaccine, any drug. But if you're going to be working in the medical field, does that mean you're going to not uh, avail yourself of any vaccine or any drug because there might be some adverse effects? That's completely unscientific. Secondly, uh, AHS has always, and its predecessors, the hospital boards way back in the day, they've always required certain vaccines, measles, mumps, rubella, et cetera. Um, And that's true for hospital systems all around the world. So I I don't see it as being unique. All right. Back to the phones. Don has been holding on for half the show. Uh, He's got a great question about roads and road work. Go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi, Mr. Kenny. Thanks. I really appreciate the uh, fact that you're uh, still doing this show. And uh, I would actually like it if you came on more often. Um, roads in rural Alberta, I know somebody had brought it up earlier, and uh, but some of the main highways, like I was just taking pictures and I was going to go out and measure it, but some of the potholes are like six inches deep on the, the roadways. I don't know. I know the uh, NDP spent a lot of money building $40 million on schools. It, there was nothing wrong with the old one, but um, what, what's happening with the uh, budgeting for the... Uh, the roadways and i find i got one other comment i'll make it quickly um i see that, that like i was just talking to somebody yesterday in calgary and there's a legal ch- a challenge still going on and now they're looking at five dollar receipts for this one company that was receiving government funding um for taking a, a, a train downtown instead of taking the carts so they could avoid paying parking and other fees so why are we still but they've spent probably close to a million dollars going after this one company on um Anyway, I'm just wondering why we're still wasting money in some areas and uh, we're, we're destroying our cars on the road. <laughs> anyway, that's my question. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Don. I, I, I didn't really track the second part of that, that question about the, the rail, but um, we don't direct, I think you're talking about Edmonton roads, and we don't direct municipal infrastructure priorities. We give them a lot of money. Oh, it, it, maybe you're referring to the fact that, that Edmonton and Calgary have decided to spend in both cases, billions of dollars on expanding their LRT systems as opposed to improving the roads. And those are choices that they've made. And we try to, because those municipal governments, they are elected and they are elected to represent the priorities of their local taxpayers. And they have put a priority on mass transit. Um, We try to work with them to reflect those priorities. So we put some provincial funding behind it. But I would I would say this, Don, there is no doubt that a lot of uh, municipal politicians in this country um, are have an ideological zeal to get cars off the road. And, you know, bike lanes in downtown Calgary, Edmonton, all of that for cities that have winter like six months of the year, give or take. And for me, this is not a lot of common sense. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm all for uh, appropriate transit service, mass transit service, but I think we need to be really careful about this. I, you know, Rob, the late mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford, used to call it the war on the car. <laughs> and uh, I, I think at the end of the day, we need to realize that, guess what? We live in these big, spread out, largely suburban and exurban metropolitan cities in Edmonton and Calgary. 
We are not Copenhagen. All of these lefty municipal politicians fly off to places like Copenhagen and 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 uh, the Hague, and they say, we don't want that in Alberta. Well, we don't have that density. Right, and we don't have those, uh, and we have the winters that, that and we have, they and we don't. Have, we have different yeah, weather. We exactly. have different conditions. So I think you need to be a, a lot more realistic about the balance of investment and in infrastructure between roads and, and transit. All right, back to the phones. Marianne from Calgary. Go ahead, Marianne. You're on with Premier Kenny. Yeah, good morning, sir. Uh, just a quick question. On your recent trip to the U.S. with Energy Minister Sonia Savage, did you manage a little bit to convince the Americans, open their eyes a little bit more to who their wonderful neighbor is that can provide all this clean energy and, and cleanly produced oil? Yes. Thank you, Marianne. Great question. I did. Uh, and I, I keep going back to Washington because we're getting such an amazingly positive reception on Capitol Hill. Both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, when it comes to Alberta uh, being a major source of their... 62% of U.S. oil imports come from Alberta. When I tell... By the way, I take whenever I'm in Washington, Wayne, I start up my meetings. I ask like the interns. I ask the, the, the uh, security guards. I ask the senators and congressmen, what percentage of American oil imports do you think come from Alberta? And they look at me like, first of all, what's first Alberta? Of all, what's Alberta? Yes. Secondly, they'll they'll get, I say, okay, Canada, and they'll say like, typically it averages out about five percent. I say it's sixty two percent, ten times more than Saudi, five times more than all of OPEC, and their jaw hits the ground. I don't know why we've never been out there telling this story. So we're finding great. Unfortunately, oh, whose fault is that? Is it the part, energy companies? Yes. Is it the government? I mean, yes, all of the above. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I ran in the last election on a, camp, a pr- commitment to really expand our, our um, advocacy efforts. It's why the Canadian Energy Center that we created, to much criticism, is spending $6 million on an advertising campaign called Look North about Canada as a solution to their energy scarcity problem. So you know what? We've got to be persistent. We've got to keep sending ministers down there. We've got to keep up those marketing campaigns. We're opening new offices in uh, Chicago, Denver, Seattle, expanding our offices in Houston and San Francisco, Washington, D.C. We've got to tell our story. All right. Uh, quick question from the text line before we go to a break. Uh, sort of related. I see many posts by Dale Naley about H2 and LNG developments and projects. I neither see any project coming up nor the jobs, and I'm one of them who's looking for the jobs in hydrogen and LNG sector. Well, this is uh, Monty's uh, texting in from Leduc. Yeah, thanks, Monty. Uh, g- good question, Monty, because what we have seen companies announce the intention to invest about $18 billion in new petrochemical projects and about $12 billion in new hydrogen projects, but uh, those have not gone to final investment decision yet. And, and these are these big, complex, multi-billion dollar capital projects um, have multi-year planning horizons before they finally pull the trigger and put shovels in the ground. I do think, I, and, and I'll give you one, one example of something that, that um, they've been, uh, some of these projects have been waiting for, and that is uh, guaranteed access to poor space underground for uh, carbon capture, utilization, and storage. In Alberta, we've gone through a process to allocate that poor space. We've, we've, out, we've done so. We've awarded, especially in the Edmonton area, allocations for poor, a guaranteed poor space. So I know that some of these companies are now moving closer to FID. Let me tell you, well, I sat down with Dow Chemicals uh, in May of 2019 to talk to them about a huge uh, net zero ethane cracker close to Edmonton. Now, 
two years of hard work, then they announced their intention to do it. And now they're doing the final work. We hope to land the FID and make an announcement later this year. But these things don't just happen overnight. All right. We're going to have to take a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier, broadcast throughout the province every other Saturday morning during the summertime from 10 until 11 in Calgary on 770 CHQR and in Edmonton on 630 Chet. If you have something you want to bring to the Premier's attention, here is your opportunity to chat one-on-one. You know the numbers, you know the text lines, the lines are full, the texts are coming in that I can't keep track of everything. We're going to start off with William has been hanging on for 17 minutes. William has been uh, calling for Medicine Hat. Go ahead, William. You're on with Premier Kenny. <laughs> 17 minutes. I didn't even count. Um, um, I drive a big rig, and uh, price the price of fuel is, is the number one cost for me. So every time I fill up, you're looking at 450, 500 liters. And I try to fuel up as much as I can in Alberta because it's cheaper here than anywhere else. And um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is the cost at some point going to come down so that I can tell my customers, you know, I'm going to be able to lower your shipping costs because I'm paying less at the pump. Yeah. And for the record, Mr. Kenny, I think you did a pretty good job for what you were handed. Thanks, William. I appreciate that. The answer is uh, that we've done as everything we can as Alberta government to reduce the fuel taxes, including diesel by uh scrapping the uh, provincial fuel tax and that's uh that's a bit that's big money actually i mean it's uh 1.4 billion dollar uh cost uh, to the government over the year uh we're the only province in canada to have done that I, and so that, that's fairly that's all the relief we can do directly at least on that piece um but what's going to happen here is um you know we've seen a slight decline in overall um the the the, the market uh, price for uh, for fuel, uh, but it's probably going to stay high for the next at least uh, two or three quarters right into 2024. And I, I wish I didn't have to tell you that, but uh, the truth is that, that, that the war in Ukraine has constrained Russian exports, of course, and, and here's the fundamental problem. For the last five years or so, uh, in part because of lower oil prices and anti-energy government policies, there's been a total lack of global investment in upstream energy production, exploration, and production. So that means the world's producing um, about 100 uh, million barrels a day, but consuming slightly, uh, consuming the same amount. So inventories are drawn right down. There's, there's scarcity, and nobody is putting the big investment in to additional supply. So until the problem here, to be blunt, sorry, William, to carry on here, but there are governments on the green left who want to make energy unaffordable, which is why they've been promoting policies to create energy scarcity. And now they're getting what they want. So we need governments that actually say that energy must be reliable and affordable, support policies that ensure that that's the only way durably that we can get these prices down. All right. Back to the phones. Uh, Sean calling from Edmonton. Uh, medical management question. Go ahead, Sean. Um, my name is John, and thank you for your John, time, uh, Mr. Kenny. I'm going to read a couple things to you first, and then hey, I'd like you to provide an answer, please. You'll have to make it quick. 
Okay. Uh, in 2010, a medical panel had directed WCB Alberta to come up with a better medical management plan for electrical injury. They had provided 28 research articles. And then in a 2019 decision, it was shown that 25 of those research articles went into a medical review, long-term sequelae of electrical injury. My FOIP request proved that it was reviewed and approved by the prior medical director of WCB Alberta, Dr. Lappy. However, the same 2019 decision also showed that the lead author of that medical review, who later got promoted to a full-time employee, completely refuted her own medical review almost word for word. Um, when you read through the decision, you have a medical review which was published in 2013, but prior to it being published, three months prior, a medical consultant and now full-time employee completely refuted the medical review. Okay, John, you and your question. Okay, thank you, John. No, I can't. I, 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 I just don't. I'm not familiar with that report or the the case. Uh, thanks for flagging it. I'll um, my staff monitor the program. I'll ask them to check in with Minister of Labor on that. I don't know anything about the situation. Workers' Compensation Board certainly a whole can of worms. It always has been. Yeah, always, yeah for sure. All right, uh, Kim is calling from Calgary on uh, firefighter hours. Go ahead, Kim. You're on with Premier Kenny. Thank you. Um, I understand there's two pieces of Alberta legislation dealing with um, firefighters, municipal firefighting, and one of them is good, and that is that, you know, a regular shift can be extended due to extenuating circumstances. But the other one says that a regular shift length can be 24 hours. And apparently, from what I understand, Calgary has put that into place. And I'm just wondering how safe it is for the crew and the public for firefighters to be working a 24-hour shift all at once. Shouldn't um, shouldn't firefighters be all awake and all alert? All sure. Shift? Well, Kim, uh, this would be totally within municipal, so I, I, I just don't have any line of sight on that or control over that. Uh, of course, the fire departments are municipal, but I do know that they work these things out in compliance with the collective bargaining agreements with the firefighters unions, and they're there to represent safety and uh, uh, the uh, interests of their members. But I don't think that's new. I always thought that, that firefighters have often multiple day shifts and they can sleep in the firehouse and work out there and and then go out for their calls. So I'm not sure that that's completely a, a new approach. All right. Uh, text line from Wendy in Calgary. We have a big concern on transportation. How can they keep allowing houses to be built, but don't do any road widening lights or highway improvement on the highways for the safety of our people? Now, she uh, gives an example. We live in the Langdon area. They're now putting in a thousand new homes Nothing is reported in the future to widen Glenmore Trail or Highway 797. The increase in traffic is horrendous and dangerous. There's not even a shoulder to pull off on. Uh, I've traveled through there, and uh, she's absolutely That's Wendy? Wendy, yes. Okay, Wendy, um, obviously I I can't be aware of every road situation around the province. I would just strongly recommend you call your MLA and uh, make them aware of this and ask them to advocate for this as a priority infrastructure program. We are spending more on road maintenance and and, uh, uh, and, and modernization than I think any government in Alberta history, but we can't do everything all at once. But if there's a safety issue there, um, then and if it's, a, if it's a local priority, then uh, it will get on our, our uh, uh, capital plan. So just advocate with your MLA on that one. All right, we have time for one more text response. Uh, and we'll have to make this one quick. 
Uh, why aren't Albertans receiving dividends or payback directly for all the money that a few corporations receive from the Alberta government? This should be legislated as Albertans are on the hook for millions yet see no return on investment. Creating jobs is unnecessary when there are more jobs than people willing to fill them. Why aren't we providing rebates for receiving dividends or payback directly for the money that a few corporations receive from the Alberta government? And I'm not sure what the... Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure is. how to unpack that. Um, I, when you say that companies receive from the Alberta government, like we, we don't have uh, subsidy programs for, for businesses. I mean, there are some incentives we have. For example, the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program is a uh, offset on cap eligible capital costs once a major project is done. Uh, but if we didn't have that program, we wouldn't be bringing any hydrogen or petrochemical projects to Alberta. They'd all be going to Texas, Louisiana, Southeast Asia, West Africa. So if we want to play in that space of, of, of a future economy, you know, we need to um, have incentives that are equivalent to, to what other uh, jurisdictions around the world do. And we do get ta the taxes back, plus the employment and the taxes that come from that. All right, Premier Kenny. We run out of time. Thanks for joining us again today, and we will do this again in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much, Wayne. I always appreciate it. I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.